ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Hi, I'm Una Chaplin, and I'm the host of a new podcast called Hollywood Exiles. It tells the story of how my grandfather, Charlie Chaplin, and many others were caught up in a campaign to root out communism in Hollywood. It's a story of glamour and scandal and political intrigue and a battle for the soul of a nation. Hollywood Exiles from CBC Podcasts and the BBC World Service. Find it wherever you get your podcasts. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com. Yes, it is the Gagan Pod deadline day edition. We are into February, which means that, you know what? Maybe we can focus on the football. It's been a roller coaster month, as it always is in January with the window open, but it is now run and won and lost for some as well. Richard Bayless with you on the show. Great to have your company. Joining me as we dissect what happened not only on deadline day, but across the month of January as well. Dave Wiener. Hello, Dave. Morning, mate. Great January transfer buzz. It's always a good time of year. Jeez, I'm not sure I believe you there, Dave. You did didn't really sell that to me. Were you up all night uh, keeping an eye on deals and happenings and comings and goings? I actually expected a little bit less than did happen. I know it was quiet in comparison to other deadline days, but there was still some good news for us to dissect. And my youngster, he, he loves a midnight wake up, so he must love deadline day as much as I do. And we watched a bit and... How good, by the way, to see it live on Twitter from Optus Sport this morning too, bring it to the masses. So lots to enjoy over the last 12 hours. I think we're 55 seconds in and you've got the plug in straight away. So that's done. We can tick that box. Uh, I watched it live on YouTube. It was great to see it all unfold. Also joining us on the show, Michelle Escobar. Hello, Michelle. Hi, Rich. What, Hi, a, what about you? Because you are a Liverpool fan. And as we'll talk about later in the show, we want to dissect the top six in particular, what they did and didn't do. How do you feel about the business that the Reds pretty much didn't do in January? Um, personally, as a Liverpool fan, I just I don't really have any complaints about the lack of uh, of signings. Um, there's the team is solid as it is, so we're going to le- win the league anyway. So. It's fine with me. Well, there you go. And I like the fact you might not be able to see it out there, probably because this is an uh, audio medium, but uh, Michelle is actually wearing essentially a Newcastle United jersey today, of course. Hats off to Rafa Benitez for what they did, of course, against City a couple of mornings ago. The big headlines of the day, though, Peter Crouch, 38 years of age. He is back in the Premier League. He signed for Burnley from Stoke with Sam Vokes going the other way. Elsewhere, that side I mentioned in Newcastle, they break their transfer record for the first time in 14 years. They paid £20 million for Paraguayan playmaker Miguel Almoron from the MLS of all places. And they also signed Italian defender Antonio Barreca on loan from Monaco. Now, Chelsea, they wanted £8 million from Tottenham just for a loan deal for Michy Batshuayi. That obviously didn't happen. He heads south to Crystal Palace instead. And Leicester, they secure Belgian midfielder and highly rated at that, Yuri Tillemans on loan from Monaco. Dave, when you look at those headline deals, and of course we'll go into some others as well, what really stands out for you? The Batshuayi one, because it gave us that drama and soap opera going into the deadline that you so crave when uh, you're looking at the deadline day. Also interesting because it's a guy who is such a big hyped up talent when he came to the Premier League, but I think his career is at a crossroads. I think he underwhelmed at Chelsea, Borussia Dortmund, Valencia. It didn't quite work out for him. And I think this is a make or break moment in his career where he was so hyped up as that you know big, 
Belgium front three they had with Benteke, Batshuayi and so on. Um, this is massive for him. It's massive for Crystal Palace. It's massive for Roy Hodgson because if he does fulfil the hype, they've got a fantastically uh, strike with fantastic potential up top. The other thing that I love is that once Tottenham came into the mix, Chelsea upped their, their loan value to £8 million, which means that the you know the finally the deputy of the Harry Kane they probably so craved who could make a difference uh, they were going to get priced out of. I'm not so sure that it hasn't worked for Batshuayi. I mean, at Valencia, yeah, he hasn't had a great season. But last year in Germany, he scored goals at will. He's done pretty well for Chelsea. For Belgium, he scores goals as well. This is this could be a really good signing for Palace. I mean, it, as we sit here right now, the deal sheet is in. It's not yet completely over the line. And as we'll talk about later in the show, it doesn't always get done when you think a deal is done. Michelle, what about for you looking at those headline items of the day? Newcastle in particular, I guess. Of course, your adopted team, giving what you wear today by chance. <laughs> yeah I'm sure <laughs> obviously looking at, at their activity today there's reason to think that as a magpies fan things are looking up over the back half of the season yeah well it's interesting that they spent so much money on a player from the MLS um, and not much known is a uh, there isn't much known about him but um, he is expected to be a, a great signing and yeah, a great potential for Newcastle. Um, it'd be interesting to see if the signing was made because R- Rafa Benitez said that if he didn't get the players that he wanted, that he was going to leave, if that had any sort of impact on um, this signing. But yeah, it, it, we're just, we, we just have to wait and see how it how it's all going to turn out. Yeah, I mean, Mike Ashley clearly wants to sell that club, but the fact that he spent as much on one player as he did in five before the season says a great deal maybe that, uh, you know, he is at least listening to Benitez. Perhaps it's a revelation. He was a revelation in a club that was a revelation in the MLS. And you wonder, as a Newcastle fan, it would actually confuse you a little bit because just when you think he's about to tap out, he's finally opened up the purse strings. But the context, I was looking for the context, a broken record since Michael Owen and it's nine if you, if you want to look across the road at Sunderland who are now in League One it's nine record signings for Sunderland in the time it has taken for Newcastle to break the signing of record signing Michael Owen 13 years ago so that really paints a picture of what's what's going on over there in Tyneside. Spoken like true Dave Weiner, always looking for the context, the agenda, the, the narrative, and, you know, he'll find it as well. Why not? <laughs> well, I mean, talk about – I was giving Michelle a bit of stick before about what she's wearing. I'm – weirdly, I don't know why I chose this. I'm wearing an AS Monaco jersey today because it's Jersey Friday at Optus Sport. And interestingly, they had a huge day. They've had a huge couple of months, really, after getting rid of Thierry Henry. In comes Leo Jardim once again, and they had a lot of business in going and outgoings and the fact that Tielemans is in the Premier League could be massive for Leicester Dave because he's shown a great deal of promise at Monaco this season it has to be said as well highly rated young midfielder and he could be massive for Leicester it's a pretty exotic signing is someone who broke into their side at the World Cup as well um, and that you sort of say he's the right play at the wrong time at Monaco probably a couple of years later he could have really made an impact there and a Leicester team that we saw at Liverpool in the big games, they tend to actually lift themselves. Maybe he's going to provide them that spark and that cutting edge in those games, perhaps where Claude Puel's side have frustrated. But you also wonder with Monaco what this means for them. Obviously, Thierry Henry is gone. A dressing room, that is. It's looking for that unification under Jardim after supposedly Henry, his man management and his style was questionable there. But um, it's also interesting to know whether this is a sign of them letting a young player go, what does this say about their mindset as a business? They're still willing to let them go while they're in trouble. They brought Fabregas in as a fire starter. They missed out on Shinji Kagawa who went to Besiktas instead. It's just very confusing 
and a dangerous time for Monaco and their fans as they sit in peril so low on the League One table. Well, they also picked up George, Kevin and Kudu from Tottenham. And of course, they let Bereka go, as we mentioned before, to Newcastle. We'll talk about Arsenal shortly, Michelle. I know you want to talk about them because, of course, they got their man in Dennis Suarez. But I did mention before... Peter Crouch, back in the Premier League at 38, is remarkable. You wonder whether Burnley had been listening to his podcast series and thought, yeah, he'd be good in the dressing room, actually. Crouch, he seems like a bit of a laugh. They let Sam Vokes go the other way. Now, Sam Vokes has left Burnley seemingly because he's a somewhat one-dimensional ageing striker, but he's 29. Crouch is 38. (laughs) How, How good is it to see him back, though? Yeah, well, everyone loves Crouch. He's such a character and it's, it would be good to see his robot dance back in the Premier League <laughs> as well. Um, but it is kind of a bizarre and it seem, uh, signing. It seems like it's a very short-term sort of uh, signing for Burnley, but uh, for a bit of entertainment, it's great to see Crouch and use his head. What, you, what you, talk about, you talk about the robot dance. They had probably one of the better reveal videos, of course. We know oh, reveal yeah, did, videos yeah. and posts have become almost more interesting than the signings these days. And they had the robot coming through the front door at Turf Moor. The fact that he's come in at 38, he's played for about 400 clubs, Dave, it seems. What do you think Burnley are thinking here? Because they've got target men already, don't they? They've got Barnes, they've got Wood. They're somewhat one-dimensional. Well, I was just when we talked about a signing from MLS before. The, by, the, by the way, I prefer to call this former... Uh, rumoured a Sydney FC target Peter Crouch. That, that, that's as close as we're going to get there. Um, but what are you going to get? You're going to get a guy who has scored more headers in Premier League history than 21 of the 49 clubs to have played in the Premier League. So Crouchy, who turned 38 yesterday as we record this podcast, you know what? I think as much as the impact on the field, I think Burnley are still, even though they've recovered in recent weeks, they're still a side that is close to the relegation battle, his experience, his galvanising impact in dressing, we've heard his podcast. He is, I'm not going to say he's a genius, but he's very clever for someone who doesn't come across as so clever. He's really a character. And I wonder if that helps at this moment in time to really steal the side going forward. And he does provide a point of difference. He is a proven goal scorer at this level. Well, as we know, there is always late drama. It's not maybe as much this year as we've seen in previous windows, but there was one story, one yarn in particular that I'd like to talk about. Oh, here's a good yarn. Yeah, Swansea City, of course, no longer in the Premier League. They might just win the award for the Tin Pot Club of 2019 because they pulled out of two deals very late. Get this. They had a player in Daniel James going to Leeds. They had another player in Leroy Fur going to Aston Villa. This kid, James, sat in Leeds for over 24 hours. At 6pm, he was sitting at Ellen Road. He'd had his medical done. He was already sitting there with the shirt on, ready for the reveal. Swansea did not answer the phone for the last five hours of the window. They did not return phone calls or emails. They backed out of it. They did the exact same thing to Aston Villa as well, backing out with Leroy Fur. What is going on with Swansea? They had a bit, a bit of a fire, fire sale. They'll need to get rid of players. Yet in terms of the way they operate, there's obviously some serious issue happening in the board there. I mean, as a Leeds fan, it's seriously annoying that the only player we wanted is gone, but they did it to Villa as well. well that's good. You got that off your chest. Can we move on now? <laughs> no, I'm not finished. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, look, look, and you always expect some late drama, whether it involves fax machines or something like this going on. And, and ultimately, 
it's an interesting one because you get sometimes you get the player power gets over the line, and this time it's the club power that got over the line, and it's a really interesting power balance in different circumstances. And and in we saw it, we just talked about Batshuayi where Chelsea put their foot down and said you're not going to Tottenham, and in this instance Swansea have done that. What comes interesting next is how the player reacts, and that's the fire you're playing with on these dramatic late days where you're dealing with people's livelihoods. Well, Leroy Fair's been around for a while, but Daniel James is a 21 year old winger, young, just recently come into the first team at Swansea. He has to go back now to the Liberty Stadium, look his teammates in the eye, knowing that he's been essentially shafted by his team. That's tough for a young player. It's also a waste of time for them as well. And there are so many emotions that go through. And if he is like, well, since he is such a young player as well, they're thinking, oh, I can go here. And, you know, they have all these expectations and then to just – for that all to not go through, it, it mm. does seem like a waste of time. And he told Swansea that he wanted to go to Leeds, so now he's got to walk back in the front so door. Awkward. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, other transfer dealings of the day. We saw PSG pretty desperate to get a winger. Of course, Neymar's out for a while. There was talk that they wanted Willian, but we're not so sure they even put a bid in for him in the end, but they did put one in for Everton's Adrissa Garner Gay. Everton said, no, thank you. It wasn't great for PSG. They now have to face Manchester United in the Champions League without Neymar. Neymar or a replacement. Meanwhile, we saw some desperation from Fulham. They got defensive midfielder Harvard Nordveit, who was back in the Premier League. He was with Arsenal and West Ham. But you do sense that it was a desperation signing for a couple of the bottom clubs who didn't necessarily do the business they would have hoped. And in terms of the Aussies, there was a bit happening as well. Ray Rush. And Rue Rush, we saw Jamie McLaren make his way back to the A-League, signed for Melbourne City via Hibbs. Of course, he was a Darmstadt player, but that contract has been torn up. He's back in the A-League. Michelle, what do we think about this? I think uh, Jamie McLaren coming back to the A-League is great for him because he's going to get a lot of game time. And as we know, he's, he's been so great in the A-League, scoring so many goals when he has been here. But for the Socceroos... I don't know if it's the best move because he did go over to Scotland um, to to be able to play at the highest level that he can. And so if he struggles with the Socceroos at the moment to score, then I don't, I don't know if it's the best move competitive. Is wise. it trying to just build his confidence up again? Because he was prolific in the A-League before. That's obviously yeah. where he feels comfortable. But I, I guess the question is... It's just the competition though. It's... Mm. Uh, uh, I guess, or I guess, like the Scottish Premier League, some might say that it's not the highest level at the, as well. I think a few would say that. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't know. You're playing in Europe and you've got cup games. It's a, it's different. Whereas in the A League, he might be a bit too comfortable. So when it comes to playing um, other teams and international teams, I don't know if he's at that level to. I don't know, to give even more. Well, it's a bit of a theme, Dave, because gone are the days when Australian players absolutely have to play overseas Mm. to be at the top. We've heard a few players recently say that, oh, no, I'm comfortable playing in Australia. I don't like being overseas away from my family. This is probably a little bit different. We don't know what McLaren's personal circumstances are around this move and Melbourne City are a very well-run club. Where do you stand on this one? Uh, there's two parts to look at it. One, you look at the recent Asian Cup and you go, probably Australia's two form players were Chris Economides and Ryan Grant who are playing regularly in the A-League. So you can compete and get game minutes in the A-League and translate that to international level. On the other hand, I look at this and I go, it's another young Australian player who was 
graduated in inverted commas from the A-League, but has he made the move at the right time and steeled himself and coped and achieved overseas and taken the easy way back home? And we're seeing that a lot at the moment. Now, Jamie's probably different because unlike others who probably go early, sit around for a couple of years and then have to come back and rebuild their careers, he went after being the golden boot. He had supposedly conquered the A-League and ready, ready to move on. But it's another player. And we sat here on, on Wednesday during the Gagginpole with Luke Wilkshire, Paul Ocon, two guys who slogged it overseas, earned their stripes and got to the top of the game. And they're now looking at guys who are basically, I don't want to say taking the easy option out because they, Jamie can come back and flourish. But it's just disappointing to see the merry-go-round continue. And you, you talk about sort of A-League recruitment at the moment does seem to be the merry-go-round of players who, who head overseas and come back. The positive is... He will get minutes. The chance is him for he now to go and improve his game and prove that he can become that striker Australia covets. What Australia football desperately needs. We always talk about are too many number nines in the A-League overseas players. Adam Taggart and Jamie McLaren are the two golden boot nominees from the A-League. It's now incumbent on them and the challenge is on them to go and fight it out for the golden boot over the next season and push each other to then translate it into international level. And if that works out then that is good for the Socceroos, but it's up to both of them now to go to the next level. Elsewhere in Australian player movement news, we saw Ryan McGowan. He's gone from Bradford to Dundee on loan. Now, this is interesting because he played for Dundee United. Now, what is it about Dundee and Dundee United that make their stadiums so unique in world football? Trivia question time. Any any ideas? Tumbleweed's got nothing. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> no idea. Oh, come on, you could have the said something. <laughs> yeah, well, that's uh, that, that's true, Michelle. No, they have the stadiums that are the closest together in world football. They are literally side by side. There's no car park. There, the car park is the other stadium. Basically, it's uh, yeah, some random useless trivia do for they, you for do the they day. Share the same car park. Uh, I'll have to get back to you on no, that one. Now, <laughs> now that you say that, actually, I watched <laughs> this. How much? I forget more than I actually watch. There's a fabulous documentary on the Optus Sport app from Premier League World on the journey between the two stadiums. Between those two stadiums? Absolutely, yeah. It, it takes about 36 seconds, I yep. think. Very similar to in, in Nottingham, you see Knott's Forest across the river, essentially, from the city ground, which is where... And I love the overhead view of Merseyside. Is that the, the, you can see the blue and you can see the red. You oh, can yeah. literally see exactly. it from the aerial yeah. shot. It's, it's fantastic. Yep, sorry, the... City ground, of course, where Forest play, Notts County are across the water. Now, Dave, uh, biggest build-up for nothing, you thought, in the window? Because, as always, we saw some players linked with big moves. Arnautovic was one. Callum Hudson-Odoi from Chelsea to Bayern Munich didn't happen either. What was the biggest letdown, do you think? Look, the biggest letdown... Funny enough, there wasn't that many pie-in-the-sky rumours in this this window. Um, William to PSG was a bit of a weird one. Over the last 24 hours, 48 hours, particularly with the Callum Hudson-Odoi stuff agitating, I would say Callum Hudson-Odoi to Bayern Munich um, was the biggest narrative that I wouldn't call it a letdown. It just led to its conclusion, which is now a real stalemate at Chelsea, which is a... Well, he wasn't even on the bench no, <laughs> against Bournemouth. And he even copped a little sledge from, St- from Sari when he was asked why. So um, if I can touch on maybe something that I found interesting, which, which comes off Callum Hudson-Odoi, it's the fact that so he's now stuck at Chelsea. And I bet what he probably wanted to do when going to buy me was follow Reese Oxford. Uh, who went from West Ham to FC Augsburg, Emil Smith-Rowe, who went from Arsenal to RB Leipzig, and Rabbi Matondo, who went from Manchester City to Schalke, all young English players who've decided the best path for them is not in these Premier League clubs, 
these big Premier League clubs, but actually going to the Bundesliga. So Kalamantan Odoi, uh, I guess, wasn't a pie-in-the-sky rumour, but it was probably the biggest narrative that didn't actually translate to anything going forward. And he would have been sitting there looking at the Willian rumours as well, sort of maybe hoping that Willian would go to PSG 100%. or somewhere else to get his spot. Michelle, what about you? The Arnautovic one stands out to me because, you know, he's essentially just engineered a contract extension at West Ham, which, okay, if you're a West Ham fan, you retain a good player, but is all the fuss worth it at the end of the day? Oh, I guess for him, it kind of, he didn't really lose out if he was able to re-sign, but yeah, I would would have to agree. It was the, there was so much drama around it because a Chinese club was interested in him, made an offer, West Ham knocked it back. And then his, uh, his, brother slash agent said that Anatovic really wanted to leave. Then when that all fell through, then he just pledges his allegiance to the club again and now everything seems to be fine at least. Well, well it's as simple as that, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, it, it's just like, oh, was it really worth it in the end? Oh, I don't know. But um, I did see that Pablo Sabaleta said that all of this uh, transfer speculation has had an impact on um, on the team, on the dressing room. And I guess you can kind of see that with their last few results with three straight defeats. So I guess for Anatovic, it all worked out for him, but the impact that it has on the rest of the team. Yeah, Especially with the injury. Yeah. Well, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> now he's got a bruised foot. So, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. It's an interesting one, but I guess things like this always really happen. And it happens to West Ham as well. Just a couple of years ago, Dimitri Payet, caused a similar yeah. situation in the dressing room and the fans are just sitting there, admittedly 100 metres from the ground in the London Stadium, just thinking, what's going on here? You want players that want to play for the shirt, don't want to engineer moves away, but he's there for the rest of the season. Let's hope he gets fit. What about the weirdest signing that we saw over the month, Michelle? I would still have to say Crouch going to Burnley. <laughs> That's so weird. Like it's, I don't want to be an ageist or anything, but he is <laughs> quite old and he was getting a, a reasonable amount of time in the championship. So I guess he just wants to be back in the Premier League and I guess you can't really fault him. He's just making the most of his last years. Well, Stoke aren't exactly fighting for promotion. In fact, they're pretty much no chance of going up. So he probably has to take the opportunity. Burnley have got some good results of late. Of course, a two-all draw against Manchester United, and they are clear now of the relegation zone. What about for you, Dave? What was the weirdest? Because we also saw, of course, Kevin Prince-Boateng go to Barcelona, even Sammy Nasri go to West Ham. There are a few odd ones. There's a few few exotic signings. I I like the Boateng one because it was so random, but you can actually see the sense in it. It's a little bit like what Tottenham had with Harry Kane, where who can you sign that's decent, that wants to sit behind knowing they're not going to get any game time? So Boateng's loving life. He's gone to Barcelona after journeyman career, knowing that he's only ever going to play if Suarez or Messi aren't around. So um, took us all by surprise, but actually does make sense. Um, Abu Bakar Kamara, uh, I guess he learnt, don't fight with Alexander Mitrovic for a penalty and don't fight with him at yoga because you'll get shipped <laughs> off to Turkey because that's exactly what happened with him at Fulham. And Nottingham Forest, they've signed Pele, otherwise known as Jadilson Mamadou Tunkara Gomes, a 27-year-old midfielder from Monaco. Yeah, good player. Another one from Monaco. The other weird one I thought over the course, and we talk about, you know, big names, big players moving around. What about Hollywood actor and young heartthrob of the past in Kevin McAllister signing for 
Boca Juniors. I thought that was fantastic. And his brother, Alexis McAllister, went to Brighton in the Premier League, otherwise known as Buzz. Michelle, do you remember the Home Alone films? Yeah, I loved them. <laughs> <laughs> I was like two at the time, but I still loved them. They're good, good films, <laughs> although three and four you can uh, pretty much throw in the bin. Let's yeah. give some ratings to the top six sides because, of course, all of them are in the hunt for various pieces of silverware or trying to play, of course, in the Champions League. And let's go through them one by one and give them a rating out of 10. Of course, starting at the top, Michelle, your Liverpool, what did you rate their January as being? Well, as I said before, as a Liverpool fan, there aren't any complaints because the team that we have are solid. So uh, Liverpool didn't lose out as well because they did. Um, they were able to sell off um, Solanke and they loaned out two players, one of them being Klein. So I would have to give Liverpool about a seven. It, it Obviously, it hasn't been the the best in, in the there's no Torres or Suarez yeah, coming in no huge uh, signings obviously no signings at all but at the same time if it isn't broke yeah. don't fix it don't I think that's it. that's a big one isn't it, 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 it Particularly when a side's going well, you don't want to bring someone in who, even if they're a good player, could upset the apple cart. And one thing that Liverpool have this season that they didn't last is depth. Yeah, and look, 7 out of 10 purely on January transfer window is a biggest fan rating I could ever hear. But in con- <laughs> context, I'll throw that word in again, uh, of the outstanding work Klopp did building his team up to get to this point, early signings in the summer, 7 out of 10 is spot on. Because why panic when you've got the perfect plan playing out in front of you and as you say the depth is there this year and we're going to see it tested to the max over the next couple of weeks you've got a couple of words of the day i've noticed context but also exotic Exotic. you've been yeah yeah, it's it's good i like it a bit of a change up what about man city dave what do you rate their business as because of course they got rid of a couple of players brahim diaz and rabi matondo as you mentioned before going to schalke Mm. they did sign one player ante palaversa from high duck split who's gone back to high duck split of course on loan we probably will never see him play for manchester city let's put that out there well that's the point so i'm look i'll give him i'll give him six for two reasons the positives are they continue to have this financial fair play washing machine where they keep bringing in young players or developing young players and then selling them on. I spoke about Matonda before. Brihem Diaz went earlier in the window. Um, they make big money on players that they develop. The flip side is those players don't necessarily end up graduating to the to the first team. How Riyad Mahrez is in the first team and Jadon Sancho is in Germany is still beyond me. So uh, for their intra-club transfer policy, for want of a better word, of which Aaron Moy fell into that a couple of seasons ago, uh, they continue to kick on. On a negative... The reason you mark them down, even though you say they have depth, they have a brilliant squad, an incomparable squad in the league, the contradiction to all that is Fernandinho goes down, you still think City are in big trouble. So didn't get anyone as a foil for Fernandinho and missed out to Ajax Frankie de Jong for next season as well. To Barcelona, yeah. And even Frankie de Jong, oh, yes, great yes. player, but he's probably more of an eight than a six. So he might not have even been that cover for Fernandinho. You talk about the fact they've sold players. How about this for a stat with City? In three years, they have earned 290 million Australian dollars for 17 players who between them have only made 33 starts. So they know exactly what they're doing, City, don't they? It's not about just stockpiling players. They do have a a rotating, a a merry-go-round, if you like, where they can offload players that they know they probably never really want. As for Tottenham moving down the table... Well, I'll give Tottenham a rating here, and I'm going to say that they get a four. Now, Maurizio Pochettino was obviously hamstrung by the fact that they don't have much money, they're building a stadium, but knowing they have injuries, 
Loan deals were spoken about. They did have a bit of a look around. The word is they had a little bit of money to spend. You have to mark them down though because this is a self-engineered situation. You know, they're third in the league. They're only a couple of points behind City and they had an opportunity to do something about their injury crisis and it's now two straight windows that have passed without them making a signing. They also lost Dembele, as I said before, and Kudo went to Monaco. They sold Jaden Brown to Huddersfield and quite a few other youngsters went out as well. So you'd have to think that you know, Tottenham fans would be pre- feeling pretty nervous as we sit here, Dave. Uh, if I was a Tottenham fan, I would have loved a Bacuay-type player. We saw Lorente finally scored on the weekend, but geez, he looks a player devoid of any confidence at all in the absence of Harry Kane. So I think for them that would have been, that would have been a real tonic. But as I've said many times on this podcast, who is to underestimate Pochettino's ability to rouse his side? They're now as close to Liverpool as they are to dropping out of the top four. So while that happens, he seems to be able to continue to create miracles. But yeah, you would have just loved for them, even just to put this story to bed about their depth, just to have jagged someone. But they, they still have Vincent Janssen. They can't get rid of him. They can't <laughs> flog him. So they've still got another striker up their sleeve. It's remarkable that he's still there. Apparently he's he, he wants away big time. He's like sending his medical reports elsewhere. Like <laughs> he wants to leave there, which you can understand because the Poch clearly does not like him. What about Arsenal, Michelle? What are we giving them out of 10? I'd probably have to give them a, a five. Um, they did get their main target in Dennis Suarez, so uh, that's a win for them. But at the same time, um, there was a lot of criticism that uh, Arsenal could only offer uh, loan deals and that's probably why they lost out on Perisic and um, Carrasco as well. And um, the Inter Milan manager actually said that Perisic felt like he was conned with the offer that he was um, given and that's why he took a step back. So it, it... you can't say that it's the worst trans- January transfer window for them, but at the same time, they could have done a lot more. And the other big loss, of course, for them is Aaron Ramsey, who is leaving at the end of the season. You wonder whether Mesut Ozil will hang around. I think it all points towards Arsenal having a big clean-out at the end of the season. Dave, you mentioned the fact that Emil Smith-Rowe is going to Airbnb Leipzig. It feels as though Arsenal are waiting a little bit, biding their time before a big reshuffle. Yeah, five out of ten is a bit tough, I reckon. Um, this they did miss out on uh, Ivan Perisic and Yannick Carrasco, which was the talk. But uh, Dennis Suarez is someone you know Emery wanted, and he's played with under him before at Sevilla. But where I think you, you, I might err on your side as well is is they're so thin defensively still, and that's not Erna Emery's fault. I think a lot of his transfer window problems here are problems he's inherited. So he's got a lack of depth now, which has been even more exposed through injury. He's got this Ozil conundrum. With Dennis Suarez, where you're looking and go, where's he going to play? And I think he's going to solve Unai Emery a lot of problems in the sense that he can possibly play him in that Ramsey position and know that he's got a bit of a long-term mandate on him. I still get more confused what this does with Mesut Ozil and Henrik Mkhitaryan. So in one sense, it's great for Emery. He's got what he wants. On another sense, a five out of ten because I don't want to. I don't know how that dressing room is going to be behaving and, and, and working out with that chemistry. So we're giving Arsenal a five out of ten, but we gave City a six. Now Arsenal got their main target; they got Dennis Suarez, they got a player in. City didn't get a player in, and we're marking them higher. Maybe we're a little bit tough, generally speaking. I'm not too sure. Maybe it's also the expectations under a new manager at Arsenal. Now, Dave, I went on a rant earlier about mm. my club, which. There's actually a, a posted in front of me here saying, do not talk about Leeds. I ignored that. I'm going to go to your club now, to you. What are you giving Chelsea? 
I'm now just trying to do the maths on all those numbers and find a, a common place for it. But I can't give Chelsea a pass despite the Christian Pulisic signing for next season and despite bringing Gonzalo Higuain. And it's because of that word, I'm going to say it again, the context. We sat here with Paul Ocon, Paolo, the other day and he launched an impassioned defence of Maurizio Sarri. And I tended to agree with him. But to watch the performance against Bournemouth where he kept them for 50 minutes after that 4-0 defeat to read them the right act, it's actually got me thinking that there are bigger problems at play here for Chelsea that Gonzalo Higuain is not going to be the cure-all for. Um, and I even went back and forth with you a couple of episodes ago and went, I just don't see how Sari can be under pressure. I, I think he's very close to the precipice now just because of what you can see in the body language of the players. And it's funny because I sat there and went, well, I didn't expect them to start so well. So I look at that and go, I was kind of expecting this. And I, I went on an email exchange with my uncle. So he's not involved in the game. He doesn't know, doesn't know the history of Naples or whatever. But he loves an exotic football chat. <laughs> <sighs> that wasn't that exotic. It was straight down the barrel, this one. It had a really strong narrative to it, Rich. <laughs> and what he, he he went on a tirade. What are the, with these stubborn managers, these Italians who come in and want to just play their way. They don't give the kids a go. They bring in their men. Well, Maybe that's what the fans are thinking. Maybe that's actually the reality. So I can't give Chelsea a pass because um, you watched Iguain's debut and it was pretty ponderous and even Sari criticised his man. So what is going to change between now and the end of the season? Callum hudson Doy is arguably frozen out or on the outer. Sari has got to rotate his players. He's not. Um, very interesting times ahead at Chelsea, who Fabregas is not there now, so there's no f- complimentary factor for Jorginho. Uh, Victor Moses is going out on loan as well. Maybe the win is that Avara Morata can cut his losses and he can go and find his feet again at, at Atletico Madrid. Indeed. I'm just going to write here underneath where it says, Rich, don't talk about Leeds. I'm just going to write, Dave, do not talk about Chelsea. An impassioned rant from Chelsea fan and Optusport editor Dave Weiner. You can't <laughs> rant about Leeds because you're leading the league. There's not much to rant about. Well, uh, you know, we're going to talk about winners and losers in the window shortly. Uh, Leeds didn't sign an outfield player when you're leading the league. And it's a bit like the Liverpool thing. You talk about, well, you don't need anyone. I guarantee you Leeds do. But I'm going to round it off, of course, with the marks and mention Manchester United. Of course, they didn't sign anyone either. And they got rid of a few youngsters, as is pretty much par for the course with big clubs. Marouane Fellaini looks like he's on his way out, on his way to Shandong Luning in China. That window is still open for a month, so it's not yet confirmed. But I'm going to give them an eight, because if we go back 12 months, they signed a player who we all know is great in Alexis Sanchez. That just simply has not worked due to management. It looks like a waste of money, but this time they've spent their money on getting Anthony Martial a new deal. Mm -hmm. He signed that today and it shows that what Solskjaer has done over the past couple of months isn't just about him. Clearly, it's also about the players there. He's just unlocked that confidence in the ability they have. They have a very good squad. And if you're looking at Arsenal and Chelsea at the moment, you would say that they are outsiders to stop Manchester United from finishing fourth. Well, I think it's 8 out of 10 for signing 20 players. He's got a new – Manchester United, thanks to signing Solskjaer, have got a new squad. And you look at Lindelof in defence, player who's just come from nowhere. Instead, if it was Mourinho still there, they would have been trying to sign a £60 million defender again. Pogba, Martial, Rashford, Lingard, maybe even Alexis Sanchez in the coming months. You never know. 8 out of 10 because they made the big call and they're getting rewarded for it. Indeed. Now, biggest winners, biggest losers. Michelle, who won the transfer window? Which club? For me, I don't know if everyone's going to agree with this. I hope they don't. Yeah, they probably won't. Um, 
my adopted club, as you said, uh, Newcastle. I think just the week that they've had where they were able to beat Manchester City and cause a shock um, upset. Um, they In the same week, they also made a club record signing. So, uh, I don't know, Newcastle fans will probably be a bit happy. Well, they will be happy with uh, something like that. Well, of course, this time last year as well, once the window was out of the way, they actually had a really good back end to the season. It's almost like for Newcastle fans with, you know, this sail hanging over their heads, it's good to just focus on the football. You've got a good manager, not the worst squad we've ever seen in the Premier League. It's not great, but it's good enough to finish above the relegation zone. So that's Michelle's call. Newcastle won out in the transfer window. What do you think, Dave? I'll just go out of the Premier League, just change it up a little bit. And uh, I think Ajax, uh, the winner, 75 million euro for Frankie de Jong. And they get to keep him for the rest of the season. So um, they don't have that distraction over their heads for the rest of the season. Will he stay? Will he go? They know. They've got the clarity. And then they can go into their Champions League campaign with that fine midfielder in their midst still. um, And possibly even knock off one of Barcelona's big rivals in Real Madrid in the process. It's it's hard to say for me who won it. I'll tell you who certainly did not win the transfer window. And that is... Bournemouth because they've signed someone from Liverpool and we mentioned him before in Dominic Solanke who won't play for a month. They've paid £19 million. I look forward to seeing how that one plays out because also Solanke's absolutely no guarantee of playing. Their front four at the moment is on fire and of course that victory over Chelsea illustrates that. Yes, they haven't learned their lesson. Brad Smith, the Australian from Liverpool, Jordan Ibe from Liverpool, neither of those worked. So that's a odd bit of business by Bournemouth. There. Someone's just a Liverpool fan there. Well, and Nathaniel Klein as well. Well, they appear to be everywhere, Michelle, unfortunately, (laughs) and they will be, by the way. They'll come out of the woodwork if Liverpool hold on to this five-point lead. Does that mean Liverpool are born with Southampton? I think Southampton (laughs) are the feeder club to Liverpool and Liverpool are the feeder club to Bournemouth. So, Eddie Howe doing a great job. What about the biggest losers? I'll put one forward here. I think Chelsea were the biggest losers because there was so much chat around Hudson-Odoi, a player that's barely been involved. That was distracting. Gonzalo Higuain's come in, has not looked great in his first two appearances. That can be distracting as well. But also I think Pulisic has proven since signing for Chelsea that he's not a world beater. Jadon Sancho has sort of taken his spot now at Dortmund. That's a lot of money to spend on a player that's, one, untested in the Premier League, but Two, you, you don't think it's good enough to get in straight away. So I'll have you later on down the track. Plus the fact, of course, that when he does come in, Sari might not be there. That's a troll and a half. You've given, given me the chance to come in off of the long run and then just rubbed it in afterwards. Um, but I'll throw in a quote from Sari about Hazard through the week. Eden is 28. If he wants to go, I think he has to go. I hope, I hope for the opposite. So you've gone and signed Pulisic. That just looks like insurance because Sari is just digging and digging. I don't know what mind games he's playing with Hazard, but this doesn't look good. Well, it'll be interesting to see what Pulisic can do next year in the Europa League. Michelle, biggest losers for you? I would have to say Tottenham are the biggest losers because it's been a year since they've made a signing and Pochettino came out a few days ago saying that one of the main reasons why they haven't signed anyone is because they can't afford them. And at the moment that they are plagued a lot by injuries, so I don't know, someone could have provided a bit of relief. What did Pochettino say? If you, it, shopping at Tottenham is like if you want a couch and you go buy a chair or something like that. <laughs> or you want a washing machine and you buy a dryer. Yeah, that was exactly yeah. it, yeah. <laughs> well, it is, of course, deadline day, so let's take you live now to Wembley to get the latest from our reporter on what's happening at Tottenham. <laughs> Yeah, not a great deal happening at Tottenham for two consecutive deadline day 
in a row, well, two consecutive windows in a row. They haven't signed anyone. The only players Pochettino has ever signed in January, Lucas Moura and Delhi Alley. Dave, what about for you, Biggest Losers? That was great insight from Bridgie, by the way. It was great to have him on the podcast <laughs> <laughs> straight from his holiday in England. Um, a left field again out of England, Paris Saint-Germain, as we spoke about a bit earlier, Neymar injured for the Manchester United tie and beyond, we don't know. Um, they couldn't get rid of Adrian Rabiot, who they kicked out of the squad, but then he returned to the first team after they couldn't get rid of him. He's not staying long-term. They missed out on Willian and on deadline day, bullied by Everton, who held on to Idris Gay. So, yeah, they are not in a happy place at the moment, given all their money. Do you think we can look at anything that happened over the past month and make uh, some big predictions uh, about deals coming up? We mentioned Azard before. He's been linked with Real Madrid for a long time. That could be one that happens. Uh, yeah. Any other? Well, I think Hazard will definitely go to Real Madrid because it's been... <laughs> Rub it in. Come on. <laughs> It's been something that's been spoken about for so long and he's even addressed it so many times being like, yeah, definitely that's a, a club I'd love to play for. Um, but I'm trying to think. Of, yeah, it'd be interesting to see who else uh, makes the move. I Based on this, if, if you want to look directly at that, I think De Jong moving to Barcelona increases the likelihood of basically Philippe Coutinho playing, playing for his future over the next few months. Or if it's not that serious, you just know that's going to be a huge storyline uh, in the next transfer window. And also, if Denis Suarez succeeds at Arsenal, there is the option for them to buy him from Barcelona, uh, which just quietly will earn Manchester City more money because he came through their academy. And that, for me, throws the Ozil situation right back into the centre of the conversation because clearly, I mean, you don't have your highest wage owner there as a captain for your flat track bully games and that's it. So um, that will be back. That will be back for sure. You kind of stole mine a little bit. I'm going to say Felipe Coutinho will be back in the Premier League. He'll be back with Chelsea because they'll lose Azard. They'll lose Willian. They'll hold on to Hudson-Odoi. Pulisic won't be fantastic and they'll get someone like Coutinho. I take it. I take it. Because I think the thing with, <laughs> I, th- I think Chelsea, I think Sari, if he is still there, he does need that, that creative complement to Jorginho and he's not getting that from Kante at the moment and he clearly doesn't trust Ruben Loftus-Cheek, Barkley and he can't figure out where Kovacic sits in that picking order too. So, yeah, take it. Well, of course, now that the window is shut, it always slams shut too. I don't know why people can't just close the door. You know, thinking about others, it doesn't always have to slam shut. Look ahead, of course, to the weekend fixtures because now we can focus on the football itself and it gets underway with Tottenham at home to Newcastle, that one at Wembley Stadium on Saturday night. Elsewhere on Saturday, Brighton have Watford. Burnley with Peter Crouch hopefully leading the line for them at Turf Moor at home to Southampton. Chelsea have Huddersfield. Let's hope the Blues can turn around their woes from their loss to Bournemouth and beat the struggling Huddersfield. Elsewhere, Crystal Palace, maybe with Michi Batshuayi, are at home in a London derby to Fulham. Everton have Wolves. Cardiff have Bournemouth. On Sunday night, Leicester have Manchester United in good form too, and they've just signed a great player in Yuri Tillemans to be in their midfield, while Manchester City and Arsenal is, I was going to say, arguably... There's no doubt this is the game of the round and pressure is on Manchester City to get all three points because they are five now behind Liverpool who travelled to West Ham on Monday. Quickly, Michelle, as a Liverpool fan, five points now. They didn't take advantage of Manchester City's slip up against Newcastle. But just how confident are you that they're going to hold on? I'm confident, but at the same time, it's a scary time because you never know what's going to happen and as we know... In the past. There are scars. Yes. <laughs> Things have happened which uh, have seen us uh, – well, well, it hasn't happened for a very long time. <laughs> well, uh, you weren't born the last time they won the league, right? Uh, 
no, I wasn't. Mm. No. Had, to, had to think about <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah, I was like, what year was I born? <laughs> well, the pressure is on too for Manchester City because they've seen Liverpool play first most weekends for the last month. Now they had the game first up. They, If they don't beat Arsenal, Liverpool could go into that game against West Ham absolutely licking their lips. It could be an f- eight-point gap at the conclusion of the weekend. Or it yeah. could be two, of course. I actually now wonder, having watched them against Newcastle, whether leading off is actually a better thing for Manchester City or not. But this will be a cracking game. Probably you'd think more open than the Newcastle game, which will suit Manchester City a little bit more. Um, Arsenal don't really have very much to lose in this clash, but um, it'll be interesting to see what formation Emery uses because he's changed and chop and change a lot recently. What you do want to see is Aubameyang and Lacazette up front and taking it to Manchester City. You mentioned Chelsea versus Huddersfield. To conclude that whole conversation, if Chelsea don't win, I think the sack could come. Lights out. Already? I think it could come. Well, home to Huddersfield, yeah. no offence, Terriers fans, but if, if you aren't winning at home to Huddersfield, you deserve to be sacked. Yeah, And that contradicts everything that we've sort of said on this podcast, that they should be patient, but you know the dressing room and that poisonous dressing room potentially at Chelsea is cooked if nothing happens here. But West Ham-Liverpool on the Monday, that's tasty because of how bad West Ham have been and the bounce back when they're back at, at home. Uh, against the Reds. Indeed. We are out of time on the Gagan Pod Transfer Deadline Day edition. Before we finish, guys, let's rate the window out of 10. Michelle? I'll have to give it a six. I'm a bit disappointed that there weren't any exciting last-minute deals except for Batshuayi, but it's not the most exciting going to Crystal Palace. You probably wouldn't call Peter Crouch an exotic signing. <laughs> Dave, what do you rate it out of 10? I'm actually going to sit on the fence with a five. Oh, good. You fail because of the lack of drama. You pass because if you've done your homework and you've done the signings, why do you need to spend for the sake of it? And you just want to hope that clubs are doing their due diligence and context when they're making these signings. Thanks very much out there for listening to the Gagan Pod. It's been great to have your company as always. And between now and the next time you hear from us, enjoy your football. 